0: Are you ready to get started with Jesus encounter? Okay. The title of my message changed for the purpose of Jesus. Luke chapter 5, changed for the purpose of Jesus. Three words in that title that are really catch words in our culture and I want you to say the title. I want you to emphasize Three words in the title of this message, change and purpose and Jesus, those three words. Can you do that with me? On the count of three, one, two, three. Change for the purpose of Jesus. Three words that I know a lot of people love. We love the idea of change. It's why we try New Year's resolutions because we wanna change. How many know you need to change? Anybody here, I need to change something about my life? Yeah, if you don't got your hand up, you are a sociopath, just letting you know Hey, you and the serial killers are in the same camp, just letting you know right now, okay? Change is a universal desire, we wanna change. There are things that I need to change, things that you need to change, and change is, is good. I like change, I don't know, some people get freaked out by change, but I like change. So I've ran across some surveys. All three of these surveys that I'm gonna share with you actually back up the title of the message. A recent survey done, Through 27 countries, 21,000 people were asked in the survey, what do you want? 71% said, I want my life to change after COVID. I don't want my life to go back to what it was before COVID. I want change. So people want change, (laughs) this is good. Yes, this is good. Because if you look at the world I'm looking at, I always say, it is seriously messed up. People need to change. And I do too. Purpose. Um, the largest generation in America right now is the millennial generation. All the millennials in the house said, hey, your voices are getting deeper. You're getting older. So good, that's wonderful. Um, you're the largest generation in the history of our country. I don't know if you know that. Uh, and you are the biggest swath of the population. Good news. 72%, no, sorry, 75% of millennials, three out of four, say that the most important thing they want in life is purpose. They will take a pay cut if the job gives them a sense of purpose. Isn't that amazing? So, so a lot of people, almost well, 71% want change worldwide. 75% of the largest generation in our country's history want purpose. What about Jesus? Surely I am going to tell you that there's bad news about the Jesus deal. Wrong. There's good news about the Jesus deal. I ran across a survey that was done in January of 2023. This is as recent as it gets. 77% of high school students want to know more about Jesus Christ. 77%. If you are a teenager at Waters Church, can I tell you that the harvest is ripe? There are kids in your school who wanna know about it. Now, they don't want religion, and I know that. That's a common theme, I don't want religion. Well, I wanna know about Jesus. Well, Jesus isn't about religion, right? It's about relationship with God through faith in him. But this is an amazing thing. Even, and I know that the numbers were higher for believing high schoolers, but even amongst unbelieving, non-Christian high school students in our country, it was, the number was over 50%. Want to know more about Jesus. So here's the question. Who's gonna tell him? We are. We are. The, the thing where Jesus shows up and blinds people and throws them to the ground, it doesn't happen very often. Most of the time, It happens when one person opens their mouth and tells another person about Jesus. And that's what our text is about today. That's what Luke chapter five is about today. And I want you to stand with me to read God's word if you don't mind. From Luke chapter five, is a familiar story, and we're gonna look at Peter's encounter with Jesus. Chapter five, verse one. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to what, hear the word of God, people, in Luke chapter 5 wanted to hear from Jesus isn't that amazing 77% of high schoolers want to hear about Jesus well it's nothing new there's something about this Jesus people want to know and so it says they are pressing in they are crowding him out so he was standing by the lake gennesaret and that is another way to call it the name as uh, another name for the sea of galilee mark and Matthew called it the Sea of Galilee. Luke calls it Lake Gennesaret, because it's technically a lake. Luke is a doctor, and he cares about details. So it's not a sea, it's a lake, and it's a Lake Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he will become Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, He said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we've toiled all night and took nothing but at your word. Oh, you can experience a lot of good things from God if you start telling him that. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when he had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish And the nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came, filled both boats with fish so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, From now on, you will be catching men. You're gonna go and tell those 77%. You're gonna tell those 72%, 75% of people in our country that are looking for what we've got. You're gonna do it. You're gonna tell them about me. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that your word will speak to our hearts, take root in our minds, and transform and, and renew our lives. Help us to see that the harvest is indeed white. People need and they want you. Help us to be ready to give them you. May the words of my mouth the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight and help us to see Jesus. In his mighty name we pray and everybody said, Amen, God bless you, have a seat. So I've never liked this passage before. Um, <laughs> behind the scenes on pastors, there are, there are some passages we don't like to preach. This was one of them for me. And the reason why is because I, I, I always preached it wrong. I've preached this passage before, but I missed it. If you have been here long enough to have heard me preach this passage before, I apologize. Today I'm excited to preach this passage because I think I got it, I really do. I'm excited to give you what God gave me through this passage today. Because here's the thing about the Bible and what you wanna do when you read the Bible yourself is actually a very good principle of Bible study is that after you're done reading whatever portion of the Bible you've read, stop and say, what's the point? Don't just read the Bible, examine it. Ask yourself questions. Questions lead to answers. Answers lead to better living. So when you read a portion of the Bible, a chapter, a verse, a passage, a pericope, you ask, what's the what? Point. The question for this passage is, what's the point? And this passage has a lot of opportunity for people to miss the point. You understand that the Bible can be twisted and manipulated to hurt people. Most times it's twisted for two reasons. Number one, for a man to gather a large crowd around himself and tell people what they wanna hear. That's manipulating the Bible. Secondly, and usually hand-in-hand with that is using the Bible to teach people how to get rich because everybody wants to get rich. And if ever there was a proof text for how to get rich false preaching, it's this one. All you gotta do is listen to Jesus and your nets will be overflowing and your boats will be filled with fish. Just a little bit of obedience will lead to abundance. Whoa! Is that the point of this passage? No. The point of this passage is not how to get rich or how to catch fish. The point of this passage could also be misled to make you believe that That this is just about miraculous things and if you're not experiencing the miraculous, you haven't experienced Jesus and so you're missing it. Jesus is about miracles and so search for miracles, aim for miracles and you will be blessed and that's not the point of this passage, is it? And another conclusion we could come to about this passage is that this passage is about Um, leaving everything, because that's what the disciples do. Leave everything and follow Jesus. Get rid of all your possessions, get rid of your car, your house, everything, and just follow You Trust God. Live an aesthetic lifestyle. That's the point of the passage. And guess what? And good news, Americans, that's not the point of the passage. I said good news, Americans, because we love our stuff. That's not what this passage is about. But what is it about? What's the point? Well, here's A pro tip for Bible study, little little heads up. Whenever you're reading a passage of the Bible, the point of that passage is directly tied to the point of the book in which the passage is. So the Bible is not one book, the Bible is 66 books. 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. They all have a point. The point of Luke's gospel is different, slightly different than Matthew's gospel or John's gospel. Um, The point of Romans is different than the point of Job. And I understand, they're all tied to the big point that God has sent Jesus Christ, his son, to save the world. But they're all got little specific points. And so the point of this passage is tied to the ultimate point of Luke's gospel. That's where we are, we're in Luke's gospel. So... So you got that tracking with that. So the, to understand the point of this passage, we got to understand the point of Luke's gospel and what is Luke's gospel. Write this down. Luke's gospel is a gospel for Gentiles. Matthew was written for Jews. The reason why we know that is because on the first page of Matthew's gospel, the first words are the gospel of uh, the genealogy of the Jesus Christ, the Son of Abraham, the Son of David. You don't get more Jewish than mentioning Abraham and David in the first line of your book. Mark's gospel is written to Romans. Luke's gospel is written to all the other nations. Couple of heads up on why I know that. Luke's, G, Matthew's genealogy, the lineage of Jesus, goes back to Abraham. Luke's genealogy from Jesus' line goes all the way back to Adam. He's got other nations in mind. Um, another key point here. Jesus, in Luke chapter four, Goes back home. He's been doing some miracles in Capernaum. He goes back home. He attends Sabbath, uh, synagogue Sabbath on. on in the, uh, he attends Sabbath in the synagogue, and. As they did every week, they handed people scrolls to read. Jesus comes to the Sabbath in his hometown, Nazareth. They hand him the, the scroll of Isaiah. He unrolls it. He reads from Isaiah's prophecy. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the nations and, 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 and bind up, uh, set the captives free and open blind eyes. And then he rolls up the scroll and he hands it back to the attendants and he sits back down in the synagogue. And then he says this, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your midst. And everybody's like, whoa! And if you read the text, it says, and they started to think, wait a second, this is Joseph's son, and they know that Joseph comes from David's family, and God promised that God's Messiah who would save the Jews would come from David's line, and so could it be that Jesus Christ is the true Messiah that is sent to save us? And then Jesus kind of like pours cold water on their, on their postulation. It's a strange passage, he says, um, Doubtful you will quote this proverb for me. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. In other words, I'll get respect everywhere, not just here. And then he says, in the days of Elijah, remember that the prophet wasn't sent to any one of the widows of Israel. He was sent to a widow in Zarephath in Sidon where Jezebel was from. And then he says, and remember that Elisha wasn't sent to any of the lepers of Israel, but he was sent to a leper named Naaman, who was a general in the Syrian army who had defeated Israel. In other words, I'm not just here to save Israel, I'm here to save all nations. And man, if there was a way to tick off first century Jews, it was that. Because they had been subjugated to the Romans for over 200 years by this time. Before the Romans, the Greeks subjugated them, before the Greeks, the Medes, before the Medes, the Persians, before the Persians, the Babylonians, and a host of countries before that had subjugated and abused and used the Jews, and so they longed for God's salvation and God's Messiah to come and set them free from the occupying force politically that had controlled their life. And Jesus shows up and says, here I am, I'm the Messiah, but I'm not here to save you politically, I'm here to save you spiritually. I'm here to save not just Israel, I'm here to save all nations so that anybody from anywhere can know the Father. Luke's, Luke's message is God's salvation is for all nations. In fact, just back up one verse into Luke chapter four and you'll see it, the last two verses, verse 42, it says, and all the people saw Sodom and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them, but he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to where? to where other towns as well for, I was sent for this purpose. Hey, why does Waters Church start new churches? Why do we go to new states? Because we're following the example of our Savior, Jesus. We're not here just to create one big church in one town in America. We wanna see America saved. But we can't expect America to come here. We gotta go there. That's why we're doing what we're doing as a church, because this is the heart of God. And the point of this passage is tied to the point of Luke's gospel, that God wants you to encounter him, Jesus, so that you can live in the purpose of God, and the purpose of God is to save your friends and neighbors with the gospel of Jesus Christ. High school students, 77% of your friends Wanna know about Jesus? Millennials, 75% of your co-generational cohorts want purpose, where do you find purpose? But in the one who made you. And 71% worldwide want change, and who can change anybody? We can't change ourselves, God changes us through Jesus. So let's take a look at the passage in verse one. It says, on, a, on one occasion, again, the crowd pressing in on him to hear the word of God. And he was standing on the sea on the lake, by, the lake of Gal- by the lake of Gennesaret. And so he makes some calculations in his mind. And in verse two, it says this. He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And so Jesus is God, he's God the Son. The scripture says that all things were created by him and for him. And so he understands the physics of audio. He knows that if he goes out into the waters, water will carry audio further than land, and he's got a big crowd who wants to hear him. So he says, it says this, that he gets into Simon's boat, and he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, this is interesting, because you think he just kind of comes upon Simon and imposes himself upon him, but that's not true. If you go back to Luke chapter four, uh, Jesus had just been in Simon's house, where Simon's mother-in-law was sick with a fever. And Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law which some theologians believe, that's why Simon Peter would later deny Jesus. (laughs) Terrible joke. It fell flat in the first service, it fell flat in this service, I'm abandoning it forever. That's not true, that's not at all accurate. Anyway, he healed Simon's mother-in-law, so Simon knows that this guy has miraculous powers in him, in his person. So Simon is willing. Jesus has put out a little from the deep, put out, I mean, put out a little from the water, and he preaches all day. Now, understand this, that in those days, Jesus preached all day, eight hours to 10 hours a day. Um, that was in the days when people had what we used to call an attention span, before the days of TikTok. Now, I'm thankful that I don't have to preach eight hours because that would exhaust me. So thank God you don't have a long attention span. But Jesus and those people, they did. So he preached eight hours, and at the end of the day, verse four says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the what? Put out into the what? It's on the screen right there. If you just, anybody speak English, read, right? Okay, so put out into the deep, and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answers in verse five, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing. Let's stop there for a second. What has Peter been doing for the last eight to 10 hours? Mm -mm. He's been holding that boat. Anybody ever been on a boat? Unless you have a trolling motor, that boat's gonna float somewhere else. So he's in Peter's boat. Peter has put the boat out into the water, just a little ways, in shallow water. And he's been holding that boat for eight hours while Jesus preached and teach, taught the people. And then, And then this is another factoid about fishing in those days on that sea. And this still happens today on that sea. I've been there. Fishermen would fish all night because the fish would come to the surface at night when the water was cool and in the daytime when it was hot, they would go down into underneath the rocks and to the springs that fed the sea where there was freshly oxygenated water where they would thrive. So you fished at night because the fish were up on the sh- uh, near the s- surface of the water. You did not fish during the day. What you did during the day, however, was you would lay out your nets and you would mend them and wash them and put them back together again because the night of fishing was rough on those nets. And if you didn't dry them, they would d- develop dry rot and they would be broken and ripped. And so Peter has lost all day trying to fix up his nets for the night's cast. Because he's been listening to Jesus all day. And then Jesus has the audacity to say, I know you haven't been able to clean or mend your nets or dry them, but put out to water into the deep and take up a fishing expedition in the middle of the day. After you spent last night catching nothing. I have been fishing. And I want to say to all the people who would ever want to invite me fishing, don't do it. The fish see me coming, and they go somewhere else. (laughs) I've never caught fish; never been good at it. Fair warning. But if you're a hobby fisherman, not fish, not catching anything is fine. What does the old adage say? A bad day at fishing is better than a good day at work, right? But if you're a commercial fisherman, not catching something one night is a tragedy. And Jesus has just interrupted Peter's life, hasn't he? For eight hours, holding that boat by the shore. And then he says, now I want you to go fishing now. I imagine Peter had every right to say no. And he even expresses it. We toiled all night, we took nothing. And you want me to take my nets out, which are not even mended, and put it into water in the middle of the day when the fish are down in the deep? He's got all the reasoning, and he could have said this to Jesus. He could have said, hey Jesus, I know who you are. You are a carpenter. I am a fisherman. Stay in your lane. Like leave that to me, I'll do that. You do your thing, I'll do my thing. Thank you for the word, but I'll do my own thing. No, and here's the point that I wanna make. You don't have to write anything down, but it's the point you should understand. Jesus never interrupts your life without intending to bless you. Jesus never comes and knocks on the door of your heart without intending to do something good for you. And if somebody bugged you to come to church and you finally gave it and you're sitting here thinking, okay, good, I can get this over with. I got news for you. You're not getting anything over with. God's just getting started with your life. That's what this is about. And so Peter... Simon, at this point, we've toyed all night, took nothing. But at your word, at your word, I'll let down the nets. The first first thing he asked Peter, put out a little. Second thing he asked Peter, put out into the deep. I want to talk to you about going deeper with God because this is what I want you to write down. An encounter with Jesus is a challenge to go deeper. Go deeper with God. Go deeper than you are right now. I don't know where you are in your walk with Jesus, but I'm telling you that the miracles happen in the deep places. Some of you have been wading in the waters of the shallow end of the pool, wondering why your life is not changing. I got so inspired by Chris's phenomenal sermon illustration two weeks ago, I thought I gotta bring out my own props and do my own thing again. So Chris, bring that out for me because this is a picture for you of where a lot of Christians are right now in their life with Jesus. They're in the kiddie pool. They're in the shallows. Just dipping their toes into the waters of, of Jesus and the gospel. And you know what? The kiddie pool is appropriate for some people. That, that looks totally normal. I mean, if it was alive. Totally normal for a a child to come to the kiddie pool. And by the way, everybody who's ever been saved, you're called a child, it's called a new birth. And when you first get saved, this is who you are. And when you're first saved, it is totally cool for you to hang in the shallow end of the pool. But you know when it gets weird? It's when you're a grown-up Christian and you're still sitting in the kiddie pool. This looks weird. I know some of you wanna whip out your phones and take pictures right now. Fine, but if you put it on social, you better put a link to the whole message so that people don't think I'm a fruitcake. This is where a lot of Christians are, though. God has asked you to go to the deep end of the pool and you've been sitting here, and frankly, in the courts of heaven, you look weird. Moses is up there saying, move! Don't you realize that I delivered a nation from slavery with a staff? David's is up there saying, don't you know that I ran out to the battle to face Goliath? Daniel's up there, don't you understand they threw me in a lion's den? I mean, at some point, if you want to experience God in a supernatural way, you gotta get out of the safe places and get into the deep places where God really puts you on notice and gets you to trust him and not yourself. This is, this is what, where, where, where you encounter Jesus, and some of you, you take it even to a high level. You're not even in the pool yet. Chris, bring me out that second thing. Your plane is super, your plane is super safe. Is this what you're doing right now? You just coming to church? I'm just here visiting. I'm not sure I want to get in yet. Some of you, this is what you're doing. I know, I know that God tells me to get baptized if I believe on Jesus, but I want to pray about it for a few more years. Are you serious? You never pray about what God tells you to do. Some of you are like, well, I try to give God some money, but the tithe is out of the question. You're in the kiddie pool. You're playing it safe with God. and If there's one thing that I have hated since COVID started, it's the word safe. Because there's no such thing as safe. There's no such There's an illusion of safety. This looks ridiculous. There's an illusion of safety. But at some point, you've got to throw in and you gotta jump in and take chances in life, and most importantly, take chances with Jesus. Some of you listen to me. Stop tipping, God, and start tithing. Tithe means one-tenth. Quick story for you from me. My wife and I have been trying to sell a house. We got no bites for two months, none, zero, in this market. I did some examination of my finances. I said, something's not right. I'm out, on, I'm misaligned. I did some financial, some financial investigation into my life and I said, I realized that I, I wasn't at the tithe. I was below it. And I said, Lord, I'm so sorry. I repented and immediately changed the figure. We're gonna bring 10% to God's house of what comes into our house. And I did it and the, do you know, the Thursday that I gave The 10% for the first time in, I don't know, maybe a couple of months because I didn't realize where I was financially, um, got a call from the realtor the next day. House is sold in Jesus' name. That's how God can operate in your life. When you get out of the shallow and you get into the deep. This is just a theory until you realize what it really looks like in your life. What does it really look like to get into the deep three points and then we're done. Number one, I gotta abandon what I think or know and trust in God. Some of you, the hurdle in your life is not what other people are doing to you, it's what you think about what you should be doing. It's about what you know. It's about, and, and here's for some of you, Uh, older Christians, listen to me. Listen, I know, I talk to the young Christians a lot. I talk to the younger generation a lot because let's face it, uh, I got a lot more time left with them than you. But let me talk to the older Christians for a second. Do you know what your hurdle is in life? Your experience. You keep measuring everything about where you are with where you've been. You keep looking back, at what God did in your 20s. You look back at what God did in your first couple of years of salvation. I got, I've got a guy I know, I, I don't even know if he's in the faith anymore, but every time I talked to him, the only time he talked about what God was doing in his life was when he was first saved. And I was, I was like, has God done anything recently? See, you can get so tied up into where you came from, you are not looking at what God is leading you to. You gotta abandon that, you gotta let go of that. Some of you, it's good experiences. Some of you, it's bad experiences. I've been divorced, Pastor. Oh, I went to a church and they hurt me, Pastor. That's, that's the inner tube Christians in the house. That's, the, that's why you're here, with you, you haven't even put it on yet. You're just carrying it here. You're like, I'm not sure I wanna come here because I've heard bad things. If you read our Google reviews, man, you'll get plenty of opportunity to jet, I'm telling you, right now. In fact, if you love Waters Church, could you go on Google and leave us a positive? Because there's like only haters there. Okay, but anyway, um, and the reason why they hate us is because we tell the truth. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus said, "You hate me because you, I bear because I bear witness to the truth." The last series I did, anybody remember? It was on pride. In June, (laughs) we had people leave, get up, and walk out. I was like, yes! They walked out on Jesus, let them walk out on me. You go back on our YouTube page, you know the most watched videos in the last year were those two messages on pride. What does that tell you? People are hungry for the truth. Even when some people hate it. This is where some of you are, though. I don't know if I can trust you, Pastor. Talk about this big, expensive vacation you just went on. (laughs) Now you're talking about tithing. Hmm. I don't know if I can trust this church. Pastor's not wearing a collar. Got this modern music. Where's the old hymns? Where's the organ? Where's the uncomfortable pews? (laughs) Doesn't look like a church, where's the steeple? The church is not a building, friend, the church is the people of God who love Jesus. You gotta, get out of the, you gotta get out of the shallow end of the pool, and you'll never get out of the shallow end of the pool if you still follow what you think, what you know, and what you've experienced. It's a hurdle for some of you. The book in the Bible that is what we call the source of wisdom, Anybody know what, what name it is? Proverbs, book of wisdom, right? Do you know what Proverbs regularly does, though? It tells us the way to get wise is to consider yourself a fool. It, the only people who get wise are the people who realize they aren't wise. Are you following this? So let me give you some examples from Proverbs because it's there in your notes. Proverbs twelve fifteen: the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, well, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do it because I know. Cause I- fool. <laughs> A wise man. What? But at your word, I'll let down the nets. Proverbs eighteen two. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in posting to Facebook. That's the modern translation. Proverbs twenty-eight, twenty-six: Whoever trusts in his own mind. Hello, Americans. I know because I went to school and I went to college. And da, 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 da. Your degree means nothing in the courts of heaven. God bless you if you can use it and leverage it into a great occupation and, and I, I don't fault you for that and there is something to knowledge and growing and wisdom and education, but, but there is worldly wisdom and then there's heavenly wisdom. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. And, and I like this because people say, well, I'm just gonna trust my heart. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, tr- I'm gonna follow my heart. You've never read what the Bible says about your heart. Jeremiah 17, verse nine, one of my favorite verses, it says, the heart is desperately wicked and beyond cure. Who can understand it? How's that heart working out for you? It's a deceiver, it's a liar. My my heart, my mind lie to me on a regular basis. Now you say, well, pastor, I'm confused. Who should I listen to? God. Well, how do I listen to God? He's given you everything you need to know. How to live blessed, how to walk not stressed, how to work, how to succeed, how to raise your kids. It's all in here. It's not like he's been hiding it somewhere. Work it, trust it, listen to it. Take the steps of faith that God asks you to take. Get into the deep end of the pool. The Bible says in in 1 Corinthians eight, it says we all know that knowledge We all know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up, love builds up. Then he says, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. I don't know what I need to know. This is where we get humility from. I still got learning to do. I've been pastoring for 25 plus years. I still got something to learn. I'm still growing in Christ. Are you? Gotta get into the deep end of the pool. We always love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Oh, this is one of our favorite coffee cup verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. But you know what I find most often is the problem with this verse is that most Christians only come to this verse when all of their best options have dried up already. The verse is not saying trust in the Lord after your heart. And I didn't say, trust in the Lord when you've tried everything that you think works and it didn't work. It's saying, trust in the Lord when you have the opportunity to go with what you think is right. And until what you think is right to stick it and follow him. Then your paths become straight. Write this down so I know you're getting point one. Going deeper means trusting God in the areas where I currently believe I'm Right? That's what it means to get into the deep end of the pool. Some people think that deepness is just, oh, Greek words, Hebrew words, finding Bible codes, secret messages. Did the Bible in the Hebrew language predict Hitler? <laughs> that's not deep, that's just a jaunt. No, no, deepness is when we stop letting this and this, call the shots, and let God be God, at your word, I will let down my nets. Number two, going deeper means abasing our best concept of ourselves. Now we're gonna get to my favorite part of this passage. It's my favorite part. Abasement. That means humility. In fact, the definition I think there is in your notes. It is to reduce or lower as in rank, office, reputation, and estimation. So lower Your rank before God. Lower your estimation of self in the eyes and presence of Jesus. Look at what happens to Peter. Everybody sees the catch of fish. Everybody sees the boat sinking. Everybody sees that Jesus' word works. But Peter has a particularly powerful encounter. In verse eight it says, he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, oh Lord. I hear the testimony of many people and I think, I don't know if you're saved. I don't know if you've actually received Christ yet because this is not some self-actualization program. Hear me very clearly. If you hear nothing else this weekend, hear this. Jesus did not come to improve your life. And he did not come to be your personal assistant. And he did not come just to make things better for you. Because if he makes things better only, you'll say, I don't need him anymore. When people meet God, they fall apart in themselves. Let's get this right. For our baptism testimonies, let's get this right. I came to Waters Church, and I met Jesus, and I realized that he saw me for who I really am, that the facade I put on Facebook and the facade I put on with makeup isn't who I am. It's just a show for the world, but he saw me in my sinfulness and still loved me, and that's why I trust him, because he knows me, every part of me, and still died for me. That's salvation. I come to Christ because I know I'm broken in sin. I come to Christ not because I went through hardship and hard times. No, I come to Christ because I know the worst person in my life is me. I need to deny me and follow him. Isn't this what Jesus said? This is stuff that doesn't get preached on the YouTube pastors. It doesn't get preached anymore. If anyone comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I'm not here to improve your life. I'm here to change your life. I'm not, here to give, I'm not here to give you a new house. I'm here to give you a new heart. I'm not here to just put money in your pocket. I'm here to put my Holy Spirit in your body because you can't do this on your own, and you can't change yourself on your own. And listen to me. Peter joins a good crowd of witnesses, good company. He's in right here in Matthew, in Luke five eight. He's in good company. Let me let me give you some other people from the Bible who met God and fell apart. Isaiah six verse five. Isaiah sees the Lord in the temple. The train of his robe fills up, and he says, "Woe is me." The prophet doesn't say, "Woe to this nation." No, no, he sees God. He says, "Woe is me. I'm lost." I'm a man of unclean lips, and I've, I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Or take Job, the innocent sufferer, who for 40 chapters in that book, it's the most frustrating book ever to do devotions in, for 40 chapters, He argues his case before, I'm a good person, I'm a good person, I don't deserve this, I don't deserve this. And then in Job chapter 42, God shows up and Job says, I heard about you with my ear, but now my eyes see you, therefore I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. You know you've met God when he reveals how sinful you are and how good he really is and chooses to forgive you of your sins and makes you a new person because his grace always outweighs our sins. That's how you know. Or Gideon, the mighty warrior who took down the Midianites with 300 men, he perceived that it was the angel of the Lord. He said, oh God, I've seen you face to face. I'm gonna die. Where John the Revelator on the Isle of Patmos in Revelation chapter 1, 17, he sees Jesus in his glory and it says, when I saw him, I fell down at his feet as though dead. There's too much boyfriend Jesus in the church of Jesus Christ. He's not your boyfriend. He's not your business partner. He's not your bestie. He's God. He's holy. He's righteous. And my sins and your sins are an offense to his character. And we don't come to him on our terms, we come to him on his terms. That's why there was one door in the temple of Israel, because there's one door to the courts of heaven, and that door is the blood of Jesus Christ and the cross on which he hung for you and for me. That's the way to be saved. Write this down so I know you're getting it. God's best servants understand that he operates on the basis of gifts, not wages. You don't earn it. America's favorite religion. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. No, you're not. Pastor, are you trying to make me feel bad about myself? Yes. Because Dr. Spock lied to you. He told you all you needed was self esteem. So don't spank your kids and they're wonderful little snowflakes and they're special and they're one of a kind and just build them up and never say no. Just guide them and never say no. What kind of horse manure was he rolling up and smoking? Because now we have a generation of college students who can't even face different thoughts without running to a safe space or being triggered. If you build up people's self esteem, they'll think they're always right. They'll think that everybody else is wrong. And that's how you get them calling for societal change instead of individual change. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because this is really good preaching right here. I'm just saying, no, you don't have to clap. You don't have to clap. I feel better when you don't get clappy. Sometimes. It tells me I'm I'm hitting something that's soft and sensitive. That's, That's what it means to follow Jesus. To stop looking at you and start looking at Him. What does Paul say? There is nothing good in me. There is nothing good in me. Save Jesus Christ. That's all I got. That's all you got. That's all Pastor Tim's got. Jesus. When you look at me and you think, oh, the preaching's so good, please look past the preacher and look to the Savior. That's it. That's who you gotta look to because that's who came for you and who died for you. Point number three, going deep means adjusting our profession to God's purpose in the world. It's kind of amazing that Peter was a fisherman, and and Jesus says, I'm gonna make you a fisher of men. In other words, Peter, I want you to see that your profession is not a joke. It's actually an illustration for what I wanna do through your life. And after just three years of walking with Jesus, on the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter two, Peter gets up in front of a bunch of people who were hating Jesus and calling for his crucifixion just seven weeks earlier and he says you people with your wicked hands you put the lord of glory to death but god has raised him up on from the dead and has seated him at the right hand side of god the father and we are witnesses of this and you need to repent and believe and three thousand people he hauled in the fish and filled the boats because they all got saved with one sermon that's a powerful fisherman you and your profession have a purpose in God. You're not just going to high school, young people. You're a witness for Jesus Christ. You're, you're not just going to the accountant's office. You are an ambassador for Jesus Christ where you are. You're not just raising kids, you are raising future warriors for the kingdom of heaven. And you got to see your life like that. That's the purpose that God made you for. He wants to take your space and give it purpose for his glory. That's why they get up and that's why they walk away. And, and leave everything they walk away from all that they have and they walk and they follow Jesus write this down in your notes God wants to take my place and give it kingdom purpose that's what he wants to do with your job with your family with your home and I don't know you might be surrounded by unbelievers and you might think I'm getting nowhere you never know what you're doing that 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 economy happens in the unseen realm but years from now and we got a guy in our, in our Apollo Beach campus this is so great we got a guy in our Apollo Beach location and, and he told me the story of a guy that he used to work with that was a Bible thumper, and he would come in at lunch, and he would open his Bible, and put the Bible, and this guy who now goes to our Apollo Beach location, he would mock that guy at his job every time he pulled the Bible out, and he would say, that's not for the workplace, that's for your church, go to your church. He would mock that believer, and do you not know that nine years later, he was in this building, raising his hand, giving his life to Jesus, he called his friend and said, remember how I used to mock you? Now I'm following Jesus with you. You You never know the impact that you're gonna have where you are with Jesus inside of you. So I was in Rome, and if you go to Rome, it's kinda like the tale of two cities. Because you can go to the Colosseum, this ancient structure from the Roman Empire, this holdover from a a God-hating, human-worshipping society called the Roman Empire, and in that place, and I remember I was walking around, I couldn't get in because the line was too long, so I didn't go in, but I walked around, and I, and I thought to myself, man, they used to crucify my, my brothers and sisters in this building. They used to hand, feed them to lions. They used to burn them alive on the stake in that building. if I was there 2,000 years ago, they'd be coming for me. Now it's a tourist destination fun fact about the Roman Colosseum they put a cross where the emperor used to sit and watch Christians get burned alive at the stake as a symbol that the Roman emperor is no longer the Lord of this earth, Jesus Christ and his crucified body and his resurrected body, that's the Lord and you can go across the river a a mile and a half away from the across the Tiber River and you will find St. Peter's Basilica Literally, about 30 minutes after being at the Colosseum, I'm in St. Peter's Basilica, I'm walking across this enormous space where up to 300,000 people at one time have come to gather in the name of this carpenter from Nazareth. It's been doing that for 1,700 years. People from all over the world come there and worship Jesus there. And I'm not a Catholic, but in that moment, man, I was pretty stinking impressed. And there's a museum that goes all around St. Peter's Basilica that that has so many artifacts that if you spent one minute in front of each artifact, it would take you nine years to see everything. All because of a Nazarene carpenter named Jesus. And I thought to myself, as I'm walking through St. Peter's Basilica, I'm thinking to myself, this is St. Peter's Basilica. This is St. Peter's Basilica. This is St. Peter's Basilica. And it's there today because one man said, I worked all night, I tried my best, but at your word, I will let down my nets. What will happen in your life and with your home if you do the same?